Beloved Church of God, beginning our service, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. May the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to break all chains and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. And may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And allow us to find your holy countenance. And present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
в небо взлететь и остаться с тобой в то прекрасное чистое небо с белоснежной небесной красой посмотрю на греховную землю и вздохну с облегченной душой никогда никогда не вернусь я буду вечно на небе В это я верю, со Христом остаюсь навсегда. В царстве вечного дивного света, Где нет мрака, ни тьмы никогда. Скорби нет, там болезни и страха, Бог отнет нам рукою слезу. Мы преклоним предвечным колени, Воспоем в славу, честь и хвалу. Как я счастлив, что ты Оправдал и омыл своей кровью 
И облек в ризы Божьей любви, Наделив неземной красотою, Чтобы в город вратами войти, Соединившись со всеми святыми, И на камне на белом моем Имя новое вписано кровью. И на белых чистых Всегда прибуду с Господом тогда. Забуду всю печаль, не вспомню никогда. Oh, oh, oh. 
So if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God, which has not yet been opened to us, but that God, with time and with every service, reveals the depths of this wisdom where our redemption is. 
He reveals it the greater and the deeper, Matthew 5:45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. This promise contained in the commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves have no part in the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and are not able to have it. This delegated authority is a pastor that God places in every church. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets in which we died by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 we note that the righteousness Righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us. Faith, the faith of God, is from hearing the word of God. Faith is from hearing, not from reading, but from hearing the preached word. And our faith is obedience to the heard word. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends to us His word by the mouth of His delegated people. God will absolutely give His order if it is His person because His word is in a specific order. The kingdom of heaven has its own order that is different and distinct from the order here on earth. And it is different in that on earth any kingdom is built upon the principle of organ an organization, but the kingdom of heaven is built upon the principle of an organism. It's not just an, or an organization, but an organism. The body of Christ is an organism. And in an organism, you can't have some kind of council that would teach the head what it needs to do. As I often say, imagine if your inner organ organs decided to get together and decide that they want to elect something else to rule them instead of your head. They are completely uh, subject to the head and there is no necessity to teach the head because they know that this head represents Christ. It's not possible to teach it. It's not possible to inspect it. People that come to inspect the person of God, they don't even know what they're 
risking that they have immediately have made themselves haters of God and they have clo their hearts closed and they will not understand God. Of course, you need to inspect people of the flesh, people that are people of the flesh, but not a person of God that is placed by God, that is given God's wisdom. And there are not many of them. God wanted that in every church there be such a person, such a pastor. But unfortunately, the church has refused God's order and had begun to elect for themselves periodically, either every year, every four years, they, by the matter of a, a manner of vote, they choose a person uh, or remove one place another, and they have implemented into the body of Christ, into this organism, the format of an organization. The thing is that an organization is not always an organism, but an organism is definitely an organization. We need to understand that. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. This is, and we've studied six and we've been studying the seventh, our ability to clothe our essence, ourselves, into the holy and selective love of God. Holy is selective. If is not selective then it's not holy because holy is it separates uh, the the light from the darkness but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of god rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful colossians 3 14 15. We've noted that according to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. In the selective love of God, we see concealed the, the goals of God. This is the atmosphere of God's peace because there are God's goals, His eternal and uncomprehending for uh, our mind goals that are called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children, not with the whole world, but exclusively with His children. In Scripture, the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture by the preached word of the apostles and prophets in the format of seven unchanging elements virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Of course, these are not earthly virtues, although these words exist here on earth. However, they absolutely, as heaven and earth, are different in essence. Each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are in one and the other and contain the characteristics of all of the other qualities. They contain the characteristics, again, of all the other qualities, which is why they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities, these seven characteristics, are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. We're talking about the essence of God. 
And as we are born from him, we need to inherit this essence by growing ourselves in God's faith, by being obedient to his faith, our faith being obedient to his faith. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Fourth, the given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, these seven unchanging characteristics, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, which is only possible when we leave the position of infancy, spiritual infancy. The means that we are to use to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. <clears throat> Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become a part of God's divine nature, which is why the confessions of the faith of our heart become equal in power to the words that come out of the mouth of God. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new person. The devil will not be able to bear this atmosphere if you, with love, with God's love will treat another person however this person be angry at you or not like you how, however evil or terrible this person may be known as but if you turn to him with this love then the devil that has uh, been with him will run away and a person will become defenseless. I've experienced this more than once when people uh, spoke to me, these are, have been criminals that literally physically wanted to kill me. And when I spoke with them, they immediately became uh, afraid. The love of God uh, affected them. The demons that supported them would run away. Demons cannot bear the atmosphere of God's love. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue because they identify what the holy love of God is. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for egotistical goals or greedy purposes of man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men very conveniently is used for greedy and greedy purposes and egotistical purposes. And so people deceive a person can deceive, say a man can deceive a woman, rob her, uh, and leaving and not uh, and leaves not worried about 
how she, she might actually end her life from the terrible thing that uh, they have done. They know the saying, what tolerant love is like, that love is love is foolish you can even love a goat the different kinds of variations there's different kinds of sayings that are similar to this god's love is not this way the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy purposes egotistical purposes here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of god which is not able to be used for egotistical goals or purposes. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7 Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7 and so the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. As it is written, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 It's not possible to love righteousness and hate lawlessness abstractly. Righteousness is loved in men that perform righteousness, and hate lawlessness is possible in men who perform lawlessness. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. In other words, his countenance is favorable towards the upright. He turns his face toward the upright. He is fascinated by the upright. He's in love with the upright one. Psalm 11, 5 through 7. And so only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction to good and evil and the righteous and the unrighteous. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father so we can shine the light of our Son upon ju the just and the unjust and pour our rains upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, not in any dictionary of this world will it be found. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love, which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Romans 8.29. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God is never, it never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects, and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as 
his burning holiness. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 And all these things he's done by his disciples. By his, he, he uses his disciples. By his disciples he showed himself he justified himself in the spirit by his disciples he was seen by angels by his disciples he was preached among the Gentiles by his disciples he was believed on in the world and so forth by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness we identified that true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man in his words in his actions and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt instincts of the opposite gender. Further, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward a man and the godliness of a man which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man when it comes to God is his favor for God a man's grace for God and his thanksgiving to God. The godliness of a man is the ability to visit the fatherless and the widow in their hardship and keeping yourself from being defiled by the world. This is the ability to imitate Christ and meditate about the things of the hills. This is the ability to seek God in his good, acceptable and perfect will in order to fulfill it. The godliness of God when it comes to man is his goodness toward man as a responsive, uh, a response, as a thanksgiving, a response. And so he will receive God's uh, favor when he shows his own to God. God will never force a person. God needs to or a person needs to demonstrate his thirst and hunger for God's love because a person has within his nature he has this hunger and thirst for God in his nature he has the one and the other and what a person will choose this is a, a man's favor or God's favor and his grace toward man as a responsive reaction to a man's favor and his grace toward God it's God's mercifulness toward man it's God's thanksgiving toward man it's his good work and his good acts toward man and his kindness in the absolute sense of the word the Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification aside from these characteristics called to identify the character of godliness there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well that conflicts with and resists the true form of godliness having a form of godliness but not denying its power and from such people 
turn away, 2 Timothy 3.5, turn away, separate from them, do not have a relationship with them. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. You'll say, how is that so? Show these people, may the pastor disqualify them and we won't communicate with them. No, that's not how it goes. They will um, be amongst the nation of God, even, uh, even until the end. And you will need to determine that when you're communicating. If you see that this person only has the look of godliness, then try to avoid communication with them and that's it. It's very simple. You can say that you don't have time and that's it. You can't go and have lunch with this person and they themselves won't want to communicate with you either. They will uh, find people that are similar to their nature. You will never see that uh, crows will be together with doves. Doves will be with doves, uh, crows are with crows, uh, each one to its own type. And so it won't be very difficult for you to avoid uh, conversation with them. Relevant to this, we need to answer four classical questions. What are the characteristics of both God and man in Scripture? What purpose does godliness have within the relationship of God with man and man with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness of God? So we, with his favor, with our favor, would prompt his favor. And by what signs do we need to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God? In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed, and the measure of our faith, we already looked at first the first two questions and stopped to study the third question: What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God, or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? Relevant to this, we have studied a series of conditions that we need to fulfill in order to turn or attract God's goodness upon ourselves. We will pay attention to the next condition today. And this condition is called to draw the goodness of God upon us in his favor. This is the need to bring a burnt offering from the herd to God according to his instructions. We began studying this condition and we stopped and will continue to study today. Then now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When when any of you bring an offering to the Lord or want to bring an offering to the Lord, you will bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. If this offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the, he on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall uh, and he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Then 
Sons, the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priests shall burn all on the altar on a burnt as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Considering that the character of any nature of offering depended on the goal that man pursued in a specific aspect of his life, every prayer has its goal, and the order of presenting the offering varied. And when a person brought a specific offering in accordance to the demands of a specific statute required by God, then he always demonstrated his favor to God, to which God responded with his own favor. And to more uh, clearly demonstrate the version of translation of the first phrase, we will paraphrase it, identifying the tabernacle of Moses as the image of the body of Christ, because they are one and the same. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the entrails of the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ, in the form of the chosen by God remnant, saying, Speak to my worshipers and say to them, When any of you wants to obtain my favor, let him show he hungers and thirsts for my favor, let him show me his favor by bringing me an offering of praise, pouring out from a righteous heart by the power of which he rules and reigns over himself. According to this place of scripture, we've noted that it's not the only one prayer that does not uh, that is not in accordance to the demands of the will of God is an offering that is brought either upon an unclean altar or an offering that does not satisfy the requirements of a burnt offering, which is why the one and the other are an abomination before the Lord. And to receive a response from God to our prayer for any nature of need in his favor, any prayer needs to be in accordance to the de to the demands of of his will that is pre presented in his order in the implemented by him statute consisting in the format of the symbol of these offerings any offering of the Old Testament represents Christ Christ himself dying for his church as a whole and in part for every individual person that is has an organic membership to the body of Christ in the form of a local church of Saints Second, any offering of the Old Testament laid upon an altar of the Lord represented the food of the Heavenly Father or the food of fire that devoured the offering since the fire of the altar of the Lord represented the hunger and thirst of God. Third, any offering of the Old Testament represented the legitimate status of prayer with the intercession of a worshiper of God, praying in accordance to the will of God for whom Christ was crucified and who has been crucified with Christ. Fourth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the legitimate status of praise that comes from a rightful heart of a worshiper of God for the unspoken gift of redemption. Fifth, any offering of the Old Testament represented God making peace with his nation, where God, by the means of the cross of Christ, reconciled with within the body of his son two nations and created in himself one new person 
Sixth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the act of voluntary humility, where a person could demonstrate his thirst for the word of the, for the word of life and seek communication or relationship with God. Seventh, any offering of the Old Testament represented the order of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, where a person honors God. And eighth, any offering of the Old Testament represented the faith of the heart, which brought forth judgment of the world, was called to drive away the prince of the world from within our body, in the form of our old person, with his deeds, and establish a stronghold of righteousness within our body in the form of the stronghold of life. According to the given order contained in a statute for any nature of offering, which is an act of worship, if any of the requirements was not fulfilled, the entire preparation of worship during the offering was ruined. We've noted and concluded that the burnt offering from the herd identified the status of a man that rules his nation in the form of a prince, priest, and prophet, or the entire nation as a whole, and could never be brought for another typical Israelite. The nature of burnt offering from the herd is a symbol of the prayer of a man who rules over himself. Ruling over your, your essence or yourself is testimony inside of this person that he has received the promise that belongs to the door of his hope, where his old person, representing within his body the power of the stronghold of death, is judged, bound, and condemned to be thrusted out into hell. The status of the order of worship of the studied by us offering has a specific sequence containing the elements of worship in ten components. First, in this sequence, God calls a person that seeks his face from a specific location, from the entrails of his body, which is the tabernacle of God, and by a specific individual who is placed by God, by whom God calls. Second, a burnt offering from the herd pertains exclusively to the category who rule over their own essence. Third, the quality characteristic of the burnt offering, which needs to be male and without blemish. Fourth, a burnt offering from the herd is to be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Fifth, you need to lay your hand upon the head of the burnt offering when being cleansed from your sins and slaughtered the offering. Sixth, you need to represent the offering to the sons of Aaron, present the offering to the sons of Aaron, the priests, so they can bring the blood of the offering and sprinkle the blood on all sides upon the altar at the entrance of the tabernacle of meeting. Seventh, before bringing the burnt offering, it is necessary to remove its skin and cut it into pieces. Eighth, the sons of Aaron's, the sons of Aaron the priest need to put fire upon the altar and lay wood upon the fire upon the wood the priest will need to lay the parts and the head and the fat. Ninth, it is necessary for the man that is bringing the burnt offering to wash its entrails and legs with water. Tenth, the priest will burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. We need to have a clear understanding that the burnt offering from the herd pursues one goal. This is to be justified from sin, identifying within our body the old man, so that God can receive the basis to with noise thrust him out from our body into hell, and in its place erect the stronghold of life by the power of the resurrection of Christ.
in a specific format as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two conditions and I will shortly remind us of their essence and we will continue to study prayer in the form of an offering of the herd. First condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in that the late motive for man seeking the face of the Lord in destroying the stronghold of death in his body was the voice from the tabernacle of, of testimony belonging to the man representing the fatherhood of God. Second condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in re presenting God evidence of our control over ourselves, so we have the right to bring an offering from the herd. Evidence of control for the right to bring an offering from the herd consists in two parts. The first requirement in the sequence is if one wants to bring a burnt offering to the Lord, it says. In the given requirement, God first speaks to the sovereignty of man, that, his that is, his mind and will in the ability to decide, and second, to the hunger and thirst of a man to drink the water of life. God respects the sovereign right of a man which he himself gave him so that he in the aspect of sovereignty would be in his likeness. Therefore, only a voluntary offering where a person seeks God will find God's favor. For God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The second requirement in the sequence of the sta uh, states, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd. To bring an offering from the herd is present God evidence of the power of our new person, identified as his place of knowledge in the form of the mind of Christ over the place of knowledge of our soul that was previously supported by reigning sin in the form of our, of our old person. The words that we say inspired by our soul or inspired by our spirit have ruling power. They are the identifying factor of whether we have power for the right to bring God an offering from the herd or whether we don't. Where, where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Ecclesiastes 8.4 the king's word has power when we're kings and priests and we speak words they have power those over a hundred says, uh, says I tell my warriors go and do this and they go do it and he told Jesus why you don't need to go uh, under my roof just say the word and my servant will be healed and Jesus was surprised that this centurion knew uh, this principle Specifically, our words which we speak identify the quality and the atmosphere of our heart, who it belongs to and upon what field it allows itself to be tended. I am my beloved and my, my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Songs of Solomon 6.3 Previously, we noted that the symbol of a growing lily is a symbol of a person that possesses a wise heart, which became wise because the mind of Christ has been received from which we've concluded that the Holy Spirit tends a person with a wise heart among the lilies 
upon the condition that this person communicates with those in his likeness. Those that just like him are clothed into the virtue of a lily of the valley. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Proverbs 13.20 Foolish people rely and trust upon the ability of their intellect and are identified in scripture as evil company. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Therefore, to determine whether we have the power over our essence by the power of the mind of Christ, so we can offer a sacrifice from the herd, it is necessary for us to know who we are in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. What do we need to do in order to inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ? And how do we examine ourselves as to whether we are the lily of the valley, who tends us, and among what truth are we being tended? Considered the, considered, considering this, we have noted that knowledge about the fact that our beloved is clothed into the virtue of a lily of the valley and that he tends those that are similar to him amongst the aromatic flowers of his garden among the lilies is not enough, as it's not enough just to know, for example, that anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Since in order for us to achieve our salvation, it is necessary by being instructed in the faith to be taught who can call on the name of the Lord, upon what place do we call upon the name of the Lord, in what time do we call upon the name of the Lord, and in what order do we call upon the name of the Lord. Not having an answer to these questions, we will not have an understanding or the ability or the right to call upon the name of the Lord, although maybe for the carnal category of men there is no need to know, because they are fully confident that every time they begin to pray they call upon the Lord. However, according to scripture these are the most unfortunate people on earth that think that they have achieved their salvation and are going to, he to enter the kingdom of heaven, when in fact they are heading in the wrong direction to their eternal destruction. Third condition, in order, in the order of the burnt offering from the herd, consists in the quality characteristics of the offering that needs to be male and without blemish are the characteristics it needs to have. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. The offering being male is the ability to confess with your mouth the faith of your heart. The word is the seed, confession, is a seed. Every individual person has it within himself two purposes, two qualities. The quality and ability to receive the seed. The, this is the quality of a wife to be conceived with the seed of the word and confess the quality of a male. In Jesus Christ there is no male or female gender because God has identified himself, reflected himself in both. And in the spiritual world, every individual person needs to have these qualities and use them fully. The offering being without blemish is the presence of upright joy presented in an offering of praise that comes from a rightful heart of a man. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Psalm 33, 1. 
Fourth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in bringing the offering from the herd to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. If the burnt offering is of the herd, he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. To bring the offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting is presenting evidence that you abide under the covering of the Almighty that for each one of us is accepting over ourselves the authority of the person that is clothed into the authority of a father of God. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, in Jesus Christ are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22 if a person does not acknowledge the pastor of the church inspects him and does not come as a student to the service but as an inspector then naturally he will not be able to be under the covering of the Almighty because this person is the covering for the entire church that he's over every individual church the pastor of that church needs to be the covering that cloud that covers the flock from the wrath of the Almighty to be that legitimate middleman or the median so when a child of God sins to teach him how to be free from this sin because when a person sins he is in despair and he is frustrated he feels himself a slave he feels there's no way out of the situation and at this time it is necessary to show him what love is and a way out show him the light let him know that God continues to love him not looking at the fact that he has sinned and that God still holds him within his hand and he will not let him out unless this person himself wants to get out of it refuses the condition to be free from sin to come and confess your sin to leave your sins and receive justification to be restored fifth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the herd consists in laying your hands on the head of the burnt offering in order to cleanse yourself of sin and kill the offering then you shall put he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him he shall kill the bull before the Lord so every single step a person makes in the in this sequence in the order of bringing the offering this person will receive God's favor to lay your hands upon the head of the burnt offering and to kill the offering is to confess your sins sins that pursue the interests of your life that are not in accordance to the interests of the will of God in the form of a priest of God having the power of a legitimate intercessor if a person thirsts for God and comes to God and here he needs to confess generally this is a person not a person who has fallen into some kind of obvious sin but whose goals are not God's goals for example Moses his goals were not God's goals when he killed the Egyptian for defending an Israelite when he wanted to 
become in charge of the nation of God. It was his calling to become, uh, to take charge of the people. He needed to wait until God told him to go. And so here we need to confess when we see that we begin to do that calling that is not within our time when God has not yet sent us to do it. We need to be able to wait until God sends us to do something. In Hebrew, to lay your hands on the top of the head of the offering is to place your trust upon God. Lean upon the immovable foundation of the Word of God to move the weight of your sin upon the burnt offering, to switch your destiny with the offering, identify with the offering in its death, and refresh yourself in the offering in its resurrection. In other words, bringing this offering, this person needs to understand that uh, the person needs to know that there will be results from this. If you don't have this faith, nothing will work. God gave us justification not in the death but resurrection. He gives us justification in the resurrection. Upon practice, this means by being instructed in the faith, die in the death of the Lord Jesus for your nation, the house of your father, and for the destructive desires of your soul, for the benefit of the desires of the Lord, to receive justification as a gift of his grace in his triumphant resurrection, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification, Romans 4.25. How are you going to receive justification if you don't know the discipline of resurrection or the teaching of the resurrection from the dead? When we confess our sins before God's representative, then the power of the blood of Christ by being instructed in the faith is called to cleanse us from all sin. At the same time, the power of the cross of Christ is called to free us from the producer of the sin, the factory of the sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, justifies us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. First, we need to conclude that the forgiveness of our sins is in the power and and the, is in the power and of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time cleansing ourselves from sin is within the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness of our sins is the result of our faith in the power of the blood of Christ at the same time our justification that is demonstrated in the, in the cleansing of our sins is the result of our faith in the power of the cross of Christ. So Jesus said to them again, this wasn't the first time again, he says to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Upon the same basis, they receive the mandate of delegation that Jesus received from the Father. And when he had said, to, said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John 20, 21 through 23. Sixth condition in the order of the burnt offering from the head, from the herd, 
is that the priests of Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And the priests Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that, that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the fire in the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Leviticus 6, 12-13 The altar with the fire that is upon it that came from heaven is represents the motives of our heart. To sprinkle with uh, the blood all around the altar is to cleanse our motives from all kinds of foreign chaff. The sons of Aaron are those that have the power to forgive sins. When they proclaim the justification due to the sacrifice, God then receives the ability to remove these sins and place them upon the head of the offering. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. John 20, 21-23 We will finish for today, and anyone who desires to take part in the communion to have within themselves the death and resurrection of Jesus, and so that it bless us and not be a curse for us you can come out and we will pray for you this is God's order God's implemented order in the church that every time when the saints come and are burdened by sin bound by sin of any kind or fear or any physical illness or disappointment or so-called depression that has become some kind of new diagnosis. I tell you that the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is here. <clears throat> and anyone who wants to receive freedom can come here. You will receive it. And with a free heart, free of offenses, free of sins, you can receive <clears throat> you can take part in the communion and be free. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God desires and thirsts to forgive you, to justify you, to deliver you from dependence of sin and illnesses, to give you healing, to bring you close to himself. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready to receive from Him what He wants to give you. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. I hate the dependence of sin. Within my heart, my heart is burdened by, by sin. I die for sin. I die for the dependence of my lusts. I ask you, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse my heart. 
Deliver me from sin. Allow me to live. Re-establish your justification for me. I accept your justification again and again, and I will keep it. I love you. And right now, I want to confess before your face that I forgive all those who have offended me according to your word. I accept your justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And right now, before heaven and earth and hell, I want to proclaim that I am justified, that I am delivered, that I am healed. I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Please, everyone stand, and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.